Welcome to the DGR Podcast. I'm your host, David Gray. Hello everyone, David here. Welcome back to the DGR Podcast. This is episode number 46. I hope you're all doing very, very well. We are good. We are good here. I'm looking outside. It's a little bit wet and windy and miserable here in Ireland. We have an orange weather warning which I don't really know what that means because we are, like have all these labels of our weather now and our uh, we name our storms and stuff like that. But really, it's just a little bit wet and a little bit windy. But I think they want you to be more afraid than maybe you should be. So we're in the matrix. We're trying to get out of the matrix. We're working hard. Energy is good. Spirits are high. And we're trying to deliver good content if we can, help people, educate people help our clients, all that stuff. So I'm very much enjoying all of that at the moment and trying to give good po- but good, good podcast for you guys. And I think we have a good one today. We have uh, our very good one, actually. I think we have um, Angus Bradley as a guest. Some of you probably know Angus. He is semi-famous slash infamous in the fitness industry, depending on who you talk to. Could be could be considered good or bad, but I think that's also a good thing to maybe press people's buttons a little bit sometimes and Angus definitely does that well just mainly because he has his eyes open and he's willing to put his thoughts out there and he's not willing to just fade away into the background like a lot of a lot of other people just being a bit beige about things and a bit vague about things and and yeah so I, I actually know Angus several years now he was probably one of my first like 50 online consults that I, that I did so Angus paid me a very small sum of money, if I remember, actually. I definitely wasn't charging enough at the time, but uh, I was still feeling things out. And we spoke about like pronation and breathing and reaching and all of that stuff. And it was just it was just one consult. I'm not taking I'm taking approximately zero percent credit for his rise, but it's just been interesting to follow him over the last probably four years and see how much like consistency and just curiosity and also willing to put yourself out there a little bit and obviously I think he's a, he's a very very smart guy as well like a blend of those things can kind of bring him to where he is today which is in a good spot but I think on the cusp of something even better I think to be honest so I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing the, ne- the next few years of his progress as well and I always have good fun chatting to him I've been on, on their podcast a few times as well so today we kind of spoke about like some workshops or education that he's been doing recently mentorship workshops content creation stuff compression expansion model pri all those things that if you're in this world are relevant at the moment and interesting to think about talk about listen to and so on so yeah i'd love if you pop your earphones in maybe have a little stroll have a listen hopefully put a smile on your face or learn something or something like that and if it does maybe give it a share for me and angus give it a tag and yeah that would be really helpful i want if I have guests on, I want it to be like, obviously expose them to my audience. If they haven't, people haven't heard of them or give my audience a chance to listen to good people talking about good things. And obviously I would love it to be worthwhile for them as well, where, you know, people actually give you feedback and say that was great or they tag it and someone else might listen and so on. So that's really important. It really helps us. It means the world to us if you uh, if you do do that. But for the most part, I just really hope you enjoy it. And here is the episode with Angus. Here we go. Angus, how are you? Good, Dave. How are you doing? It's a, can I say, it's an absolute honor and a pleasure to be here. <laughs> good, good, good stuff. I'm, uh, it's, what time is it here? 
half eight, eight, eight thirty, and have a coffee. And I usually don't record till like middle of the day when I actually get going. So you're gonna have to bring me through this one a little bit. You're gonna have to bring the energy. That's right. I've been firing on all cylinders all day. This is actually my third podcast for the day. Oh, Woke really? up, interviewed a powerlifting coach, and then did a UFC 280 breakdown solo in the middle of the day. And you know, ultimately, I viewed those just as prep for this moment right here. So I am warmed up and ready to rip and tear. Good prep. I only have one podcast in me a day. Actually, probably one a week. If I have like, if I look at my calendar, Kira has two podcasts in for me. I'm done. It's well, I'm trying to stick to a two podcast a week schedule and I completely dropped the ball last week because I do that like two freshies every week. I never have any sitting in the can and my podcast producer, he just begs me. He's just like, hey, man, can we just can a few? Because I don't realize how emotionally invested he is in the podcast now. So now that little bastard has gone in and I think I've had two podcasts already fall through this week. This is my third one for today. And then I've still got another three to go this week. So he's just like, all right, you don't want to can any either. So he's just forcing so many down my throat at the <laughs> moment that I'm going to be forced to can some. So well played, Matt Harvey, if you're listening. In Ireland now, if I, if I, if I said can, that would mean I'm going to bin them. I'm not going to put up the podcast. But you mean can uh, right. as in keep them in the bank? Can it and preserve it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Right. Okay. We always have the intention of doing that. And then what we end up doing is just like i'm like, relax I, I just yeah i just put it up i'm like i need to rec- i'm supposed to record it so this week or last week i was supposed to record a solo podcast and i was just put up a guest instead so whenever i have like a tiny bit of breathing space i just lose it again mental so. health has to be peaking to do a solo podcast so yeah. i used to listen to bill burr's podcast he's just a comedian i still listen to it from time and time again and he's the only person i know on the planet that just without friction can just hit record and just yak 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 for an hour like Oh, it's yeah. just like I said, I'm proud of the podcasts that come out of it, but just the act of sitting down and just talking to yourself in a room for an hour is just so null. I look at it as the highest form of personal development. Mm-hmm. It's tough. It's because there's there is zero feedback. Even the podcast in general is tough because there's zero feedback. But when you're doing a solo one, you could be talking for on one topic for five minutes. I ended up talking about swing phase of gate for like half an hour and I was just talking myself in circles because I knew every time I said something, someone was going to like try and pick a little hole in that. So I had to circle around and try and fill in that hole again. I was just like, what am I seeing? Creating more basis for yourself to then have to go back over and cover your tracks. I was listening to that. and I was like, I can hear the head noise coming through here. But the explanation was thorough. Like you were very coherent there if you need any support. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) Um, How have you been since you've taken over the world? World domination, um, which are workshops. Yeah, it's just been crazy. Sort of, you know, I uh, wrapped up my face-to-face business in Sydney just before I hopped on the plane to head over to the UK and do that a little bit of uh, some seminars, some weightlifting seminars with Chris Speed. He owns the biggest weightlifting club in the UK by numbers. And yeah, I just I sort of had this uh, this vision that I was sort of doing the seminars as a bucket list thing. Just oh, it's crazy the idea of getting to do some international seminars like. I haven't even done any seminars in my home country. Obviously, a few of those have been announced since. But I have this vision that I was going to, now that I had a bit more of a reputation and I had an online business that I could essentially run from anywhere, I'd move back to my hometown and I'd sort of try to become the Eric Cressy of Wollongong. Like the Wollongong fitness scene, which I only left in the first place because I got kicked out of the only gym in town where you could act as a sole trader and just pay rent. So I had to move my business up to Sydney. But 
And I think that goes to show you the fact that there was one gym in town in 2015, 2016, where you could pay rent and run your own show. Sort of in the five years that I've been gone, the Wollongong fitness scene has come a long way. And there are these bougie, independent, pretty sizable facilities now. There's still no dedicated SNC gym. So the same way that Athletes Authority, I think they changed the game on a national level by drawing a line in the sand and be like, we're going to be the first dedicated true strength and conditioning facility in Australia. Because we had S&C facilities, but if someone, want, if someone rocked up wanting to lose 10 pounds, they'd be like, oh, yeah, yeah, come in. In your stay calm. In, the corner in your sort calm. Of thing. Whereas yeah. Athletes Authority, credit to them. They had the balls to be like, look, mate, that is a totally reasonable goal, but go down the street to any time. This is the place for athletes. And mm-hmm. I sort of want to be the first person to stick that uh, flag in the sand down in Wollongong. Just so like, it is a good sporting town. There's so much local sporting talent. And I just want to have that thing where, you know, your kids showing a bit of footy potential. People start patting you on the show be like, dude, why aren't they at Angus's gym getting that good S&C? All the other people who made it pro came out of there. But then how far from a taste of those seminars and an hour. An hour, yeah. I think I've been in. I, I'm certain I've been in Wollongong. I'm starting to have big uni so, town uh, sort of thing. It's like three hundred thousand people, so it really is that big town, small city sort of vibes. Yeah, I think honestly, like I think in most decent sized towns, there's room for someone like that to do to do that type of thing. You just have to charge more, a bit more, and then you're also going to get like decent clients who actually want to train. So there's niches for. There's there's enough for everything, and especially if you're have the online uh, like if you have an online business as well, then you have no issue doing that. That's the intention, right? To be able to keep the doors open just based off online alone, and then any actual stuff that comes through the brick and mortar uh, is mm-hmm. gravy on top. Because I think we've all seen people who had a good business ruin their life by opening a gym. Yeah, hundred percent. I think Jeff Jeff Flexibull, he was saying he was saying something a little bit similar where. Like his his gym was kind of on top. Now I don't I don't know. I don't want to quote him on this, but like he was doing well enough online that the gym was like, I really want to have a gym and here we go. But like I don't it's not I'm not relying on packing members in the door here to actually keep it open. So I think that is uh that's the, that's definitely the way to go. I also had guilt. Because like we've just said, you know, there's so much discouragement and there's so much rhetoric against opening brick and mortar facilities and how it will ruin your life. But then I think back to some of the experiences I had in amazing facilities where I was training with my high school mates and stuff like that. And I felt really bad that I was just running away from that challenge, whereas I kind of want to step up to the plate and be like, can I provide a space where people can make memories like that and have those experiences that then create passionate fitness professionals such as myself. I'm like, ah, I'm kind of copping out here. So that's another sort of reason why I do want to entertain the brick and mortar thing. It's like someone had the balls to do it for me. I hope I can do that for someone else in the future. Would you like to hire other coaches? Yeah. Uh, that, yeah, that's sort of been a recent revelation. Jamie Smith has just been in my ear, my mentor, you obviously know him about it. And he's just like, you will hire someone. I'm like, who, like, who could I ever trust like that? And like, there'd just be so much educating I'd have to do. He's like, no, no. He's like, there'll be someone in your mentorship and it will just be obvious. And sure enough, it sort of happens. Like I'm definitely not employing anyone at this Mm -hmm. stage, but starting to sort of work alongside some other people uh, in some capacity. And I don't want to have kids. And I look at other people who don't have kids and I'm like, man, if, if people stop interacting with my content and my business isn't like absolutely boom, and I'm like, am I going to get like weird as an old man and like have no direction in my life? So I just think like an employee could sort of be my contribution to society. It's like, well, I can't have a kid, but like I'll employ someone because I think that's yeah. kind of honorable. Yeah. 
there'll definitely be someone in your mentorship. Sounds like there already is 100%. And like, if you keep growing the way you're growing, like people will come and work for you as uh, they'll just come and learn for you from you. So now that can be a short term thing as well, where they're coming for a couple of years. You want someone that's going to be there for 10 or 20 years. And eventually when you get older, you probably want someone who's going to buy into the business. Like here's 20% of the business. And then you're going to, you're going to run this like, and I'm just going to oversee things. So I know that's a long way in the future, but that's probably the way to be, to be thinking. And my thoughts on that is like, we have Alice, we have Chris, but with Alice, like Alice is a physio and I just made a vow with myself. Like when, when I first chatted to her and we first took her on that, I was just going to teach her everything. and not hold back at all because I just want and even at some stage if she ends up leaving or doing her own thing or whatever like I just have there's no advantage to me just holding back just because that might happen in the future with staff which is what you hear that's the thing against hiring a coach all the time like oh they're just going to eventually leave well but like. that's the thing and that is it but isn't that what real jobs are and that shows me and because I, I hear what you're saying and i resonate with it but that goes to show you how primitive this industry is because in no other field are you expected to dedicate your life to someone after they've thrown you a job and if not your the role you give out but a lot of the jobs in the fitness industry absolutely suck and then people get dirty after someone leaves after a couple of years. I'm like, realistically, what did you expect 20 years? Like, did you have that conversation? Like, are we in for life here? Um, and and I, I relate to those people as well, because that's exactly the mental war I'm having now where I'm like, how do I create circumstances that are rewarding enough where this guy does stay for life? Um, yeah. and, and how can I create those sort of structures within the business? So there's a few things happening media yeah. wise that will be like, you know, my intention would be that when someone does leave, you know, obviously they've had the upskill, but then again, they're going to take away, um, some sort of right reputation or at least an increase in their audience. Like you can collab on posts on Instagram and yeah. I'm going too far off the beaten path. I'm getting ahead no, no. of my skis. No, here. no, no, no. I can see that's how your brain is just ticking over and working, but, but yeah. And like the people who. You know, people who whinge that their their staff member left. What did they do when they first came into the industry? They learned for a few years and they opened up their own business. So, <laughs> like, you know, it's such a it's, it's just being a massive hypocrite. So, my veil was just like, if I'm going to take someone on, I'm going to appreciate that eventually they might leave, or else I just have to make the job good enough for them that they that they don't want to leave. The conditions good enough, and I'm just going to teach them everything I can and try and just actually help them better themselves and, and whatever happens happens after that. So I think that's, um, I think that's important. Yeah. But I think it would like, you know, the idea I've had so many shit bosses growing up through my life. Like, I think it would sort of fill me with a sense of pride. Be like, nah, nah, like I did give someone a good opportunity and like I did lead them and sort of like, you know, it's, it's definitely a challenge that I'm looking forward to embracing <laughs> somewhere down the track after things settle down a little bit. And I figure out even what I'm actually doing. Because I've kind of just been joyriding around in this business for the last two years. Being like, oh, what opportunities are out there? Whereas it's only sort of since I got back from this UK trip that I'm like, no, be more intentional. Don't just be along for the ride with this thing because you have all this momentum. It's like, Angus, what do you want to do with this? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can have both. You want to joyride, but then have some kind of overall direction. Um, (laughs) It's it's been fun. Don't worry about that. Yeah. Yeah. How, uh, How did the workshops go? Crazy. I couldn't believe it. Because I had so many fears before I left. Like, I, I just couldn't even entertain that it was happening. So all I had booked up until the day before I left was my flight. 
<laughs> I was like, I know I'm going there to do seminars, but I couldn't even entertain like booking accommodation because I was like, no one's going to buy tickets. Everyone who rocks up is going to be skeptical, which is all just like crazy thoughts I was making up in my head because we had sold uh, 10 to 12 tickets per seminar. And like, obviously anyone who's taken time out of their weekend and paying their hard-earned money to go hear someone talk and lift weights with someone. It's like, you know, I, I thought about it more rationally and like there shouldn't have ever been any nerves. But like mm-hmm. I said, I'm trying not to judge myself for going through that process. But yeah, we ended up getting over 20 people at every single one. And I was just so stoked with not only like the type of people who were rocking up, like I just felt like these are my people. Cause I was gonna I was prepared to be really judgmental of myself based on the kind of trainers that rocked up and athletes that rocked up but man there was so many people who were like you know lifted way more weight than i could even ever imagine and i consider myself to be a relatively strong person at a population level and just some of the minds that were there both at the weightlifting and the gpp seminar i just yeah i'm eternally grateful for that experience and like, like i said just you know i've always maintained that like i don't like the majority of trainers i don't relate to the majority of trainers but the people who rocked up to those seminars i'm like you are my people like 100 percent, 100 even in ways outside of fitness yeah. or just out on the beers after even just hanging with chris uh who hosted the seminars and set it all up and keen who i got to spend a lot of time with but even just all of chris's athletes i'm like you're like my high school mates who i go away on surf trips with mm-hmm. or like my good mate personal trainers so really like heartwarming experience because i think for me as well just so much of my momentum has just come from relentless shit posting on instagram and i think i trivialize a lot of what i do as well out of insecurity but then it just did make it feel like there was a bit more of a real and tangible aspect to what i do um mm-hmm. so it was very empowering in that regard mm-hmm. i don't think it's shit posting though because there, you're, you're you're trying to make people think and there, there's value there in the things you do and and the things you say and like it's always even if there is a shit post there's always like a valuable post before or after it or even the shit post can be valuable so like that is evident by the people that come and actually say they want to learn from you because there's a lot of people just trolling and shit posting and they're doing it to get like attention and clout but i don't know how they can ever really cash in on that and well, they're not. And a lot of they're them are not. getting frustrated and switching over to educational content now. Uh, whereas like, you know, if you can maintain that sweet spot between taking the piss out of everything, but still being a high level operator, which is just like a quality that I look for in every single coach I like. Because even you take as much as you're, I consider you to be like much more conservative, I guess, in terms of your public behavior and stuff like that. But you know, I still know that you're a bit of a piss taker and you don't take yourself too seriously. Rugby strength coach, another clear example of like high level operator, chronic piss taker. Again, the guys at Melbourne strength culture, there's a pattern here sort of for me. Anyone who can like see that this industry is in a primitive bit of a joke sort of state, but then still be passionate about it. I'm like, they're the people that I resonate with. Mm -hmm. I just, I personally I'm not good with confrontation. Actually, maybe it's just online confrontation because in person, like I'm fine with that. I've played a lot of sport all my life. And like that was a big part of that is being co- very confrontational. But it just, it, it gets in on me online a little bit. If someone is arguing with me where I don't, I don't mind someone like calling me a dickhead or whatever. I, I actually have no issue with that. But my issue is like, I want to win the argument. And then, mm. so I spend like, 
the next hour fucking thinking about it like or you know waiting okay they're going to comment back now and even even when i can't even when i'm just going for a walk like it's still niggling way in the back of my mind so it's and do like, you expect any like if you thought about it for a second do you ever expect anyone to be like oh dave you're right like, no exactly. especially once it's past a certain threshold yeah so it is just your own insanity being bounced mm-hmm. back at you at a certain point like once you have an echo chamber, it's sweet because you let the kangaroo court sort it out. You're like, well, I got more likes on my comments, so kick rocks. And that's sort of my metric these days. I, I really like the echo chamber of social yeah. media. Oh, echo chamber is key. Absolutely key. One guy one guy was on to me recently. Uh, he was, he's actually a go-to guy. And he was saying, uh, my podcast, <laughs> my podcast has, uh, I thought I had them all blocked, but my podcast <laughs> has, um, his podcast he was talking about has more a more diverse than any other podcast in the industry, I have people on that I disagree with and all this stuff. And can you say the same for yourself? If he's asking me about my podcast, I was like, I do my podcast. I want to have fun with people that I actually like. I don't want to just yeah. spend a day arguing with people where I never get anywhere. And especially those type of people. So echo chamber is definitely key. Well, the medium's the message. Like, because people will say like, oh, social media, you got to be challenging your biases. I'm like, that's a really crap use of social media. Like posting stuff that all your followers are going to hate. And it's again, people with big followings will post these sort of sentiments. I'm like, you're not doing that. Shush. It's all just lip service. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, and if you can consciously challenge it, I would dispute whether it's a true bias Mm -hmm. in the first place. And like I said, like if you just let Instagram be what it is, like let it be an echo chamber. Like, do we hate ourselves so much that we're never allowed to have anyone applaud our cute little ideas or agree with us in and and inspire us to sort of push further down that line of thinking? Um, I think we get too caught up in always trying to, yeah, like push yeah. ourselves and and disagree. And it's like you got to be realistic about it as well, and like yeah. find the proper format for it. It's like it's a third person's podcast where you go to have the debates. It's like high performance podcast is purely just to get down, have fun with people, get people on that I agree with. Yeah, exactly, hundred percent. How you would challenge your biases by like going to a course or reading a book or something like that, where you're actually sitting down, you're not just marinating. Yeah, marinating over something. Exactly. That's that's literally the only way. And like I do, I get very frustrated with a lot of the biomechanics people's posts. I really like, I'm like, I could say something similar on one of my posts, but then I see one of their posts and I'm like, they're fucking overdoing this. Like, so I, I, I end up arguing myself, but I think it's a good way. Like you should be able to argue both sides of a debate, obviously. But I, I wonder if you relate to this. Like I personally have a big inner critic. So that's why when someone, that's why I do take it so personally when people disagree with me online. Cause I'm like, don't you think I've questioned this more than yeah. fucking anyone? <laughs> like, I'm like, dude, I hate myself. Sorry. Like I've done a lot of work this year uh, to, you know, get a better, more positive and supportive inner Angus, but uh, he's still there, the inner critic. And I've, I've learned to love him as well, because like I said, like in a certain sense, I get annoyed when people think I haven't considered what I've said, but then the other aspect of it is I'm like, there's probably nothing mean that anyone could say to me on social media that I'm not already aware of or like internally have just said to myself anyway. So yeah. sort of try to manage that. But yeah, I'm oh. sure you're sort of the same. Like, man, just the amount of doubt I had to overcome to post this idea at all. It's like, piss off. Yeah, exactly. 100%. 100%. So yeah, for me, it's not, I don't think it's actually the confrontation. It's the energy that like it niggles away at me in the background that this is going on online and you know that that kind of thing so it's not, and i never expect that someone's gonna ever i've never it's never happened that 
actually happened one time where it was like a big debate and then one guy just came back and was like actually you're right i was like oh my god did this just happen <laughs> to take the afternoon off you're like kira go book the best restaurant in town we did it baby <laughs> i should have i should have made an nft out of it out of that comment so, <laughs> so uh first man on the internet admitting he was wrong <laughs> exactly it was actually about pronation it was like I said, pronation is not knee valgus. And he was arguing and arguing and arguing. And then I was like, just look at the video. Are they pronating? And is their knee pointing straight forward? And he's like, yes, they are. And yes, it is. You're right. I was like, holy shit. So um, Kelly Starrett made valgus into a buzzword in like 2011. And no one has bothered Googling what knee valgus actually is ever since. Mm -hmm. People just think it's internal rotation. It's like, it's actually not. Yeah. He's done quite a few things. Um, I was also a legend. I should sorry, yeah. Kelly Starrett, I actually think is a legend of a bloke on a on a personal level. So he's an absolute legend. He was he's like he brought the industry very far forward in terms of marketing, opening people's eyes to different things, but he still has the same idea as he did 10 years ago. If you like he's he tries to he's pretended to open it up a little bit, but if you look at the core of it, it's the exact same and it's wrong. He, so he's wrong about the move a lot of the movement stuff, but like He's a legend. He, I, I think he's a really cool, charismatic guy. What I view the legacy of, what was it before it was the ready state? It was mobility. mobility like, I think even though biomechanically, I think it's pretty narrow and abhorrent and wrong and inaccurate. What he did that was a real necessary step is he put the power back in the hands of the people. He's like, well, look, I've got this half-baked movement model, but at least you don't have to book in at the physio every week. And instead of getting your massages, why don't you just rub yourself on this? And, and I'll always have love for him for that because ultimately this does just come back to empowering the individual. But then there is this other layer now that we all are sort of left with this knees out sort of legacy uh, mm -hmm. that needs to be addressed and the intent of the book the pitch of the book remember supple leopard it's like what well, does a leopard get up and stretch its hamstrings and activate its glutes before chasing down a deer which is ironic because he started the whole phase of the 40 minute warm-up but if you look at it for the the pure message which was muddied along the delivery like there, there was some good lines of thought in there yeah no he's 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 good he's after making a lot of money i actually listened to uh Tim Ferriss podcast. It was like a two or three year old Tim Ferriss podcast yesterday. And in the ads at the start was Mobility Wad. Or no, oh, maybe man. it was just Ready State. Maybe it was two years ago. I was like, Kelly Starrett was advertised on Tim Ferriss' podcast. How much? That can't be cheap. No, that cannot be cheap. So I don't know. You're the, you're the, you're the man that knows about podcast advertising and stuff, not me. But uh, the Tim Ferriss' slots could definitely not be cheap. No, I'm just a little degrade, Alex Hormozy. Jamie Smith got me onto Hormozy. Like, I, I have a, a visceral uh, reaction to most fitness business people, but then Jamie Smith every now and then will be able to point someone out and be like, you know what? They're not a complete scumbag. Uh, yeah. Sort of Hormozy's the current fetish. Yeah, he's very good. He's very, very good. It's hard to, because he's not selling something in the fitness industry really anymore. It's hard to copy him. It's hard to hate him for it, but it's also hard to copy him. Because if you look at all, if you look at any fitness business, you can just look at like their sales page, their, their funnel, what they're doing, the message, the ads they're running. And he's not doing any of that stuff. So like on a, on a macro level, you can listen to him talking, but then on a micro level, it's like, I can't, I still can't figure out exactly what you're doing and how I should copy that. 
I've always hated sales guys, especially when I was just doing personal training, because I've always been a believer that you don't actually need to be good at sales. All you need to be good at is with retention. And like, that's how I filled my books. Like being in the game, sort of, I was training people in the city for four, five, six years and had heaps of clients for four plus years. Uh, and mm-hmm. I was really proud of that. And people were like, but you're so shit at sales. I'm like, it doesn't matter because I just don't lose clients once they're in the system. And it's now that I'm in this position where I'm like, well, you, I could sell in theory a billion copies of Armageddon or Rotation Restoration. So now I do have this need to sort of have this more sales driven component to my business. So, yeah. but I'm proud of the fact that like I proved my point and I was a good sole trader and personal trainer while being like terrible at sales. And now I have all this wonderful sort of stuff to dive into and a new skill set to learn now. Mm-hmm. I would say that 99% of it is giving people value whether that's like free or paid or whatever and then it's just like one percent is asking for the sale that's it which could be in instagram terms it's like just give value 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 or what what does um gary v say it's just jab 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 right hook here's a program off you go and people will buy it you don't need to be good at sales and as much, that's the thing, as much as I said it's different, it really is just a bigger version of the gym floor. Because again, I'll shit at sales, how I built my business on the gym floor, which was going up and helping people. And I wouldn't even pitch him because I didn't have the balls and I was too scared. So I just run away back to my little corner and then I'd see him the next week. I'd help him again. And it just gets to the point where like, hey, mate, can you just train me? I'm like, oh, yeah, sure. I'm glad you asked. <laughs> um, and it almost felt that way because I had nothing to sell. Like the whole time I was just shit posting away every day on Instagram. I was just venting and getting stuff off my chest. But then it came to the point where people were like, hey, like, do you have any educational products? Or do you have any programs I could download or mm-hmm. anything like that? So as much as I say like, oh, yeah, the game has changed now it's about sales i'm like and there's this whole component of like now if you just show up genuinely trying to give value and help people like and it sounds cliche and it's funny because i know a lot of people don't believe me when i say it but once you've experienced it it's just like the way you the things you get back when you just give and give and give online and like try to put uh helpful stuff out there you wouldn't believe it yeah i'm with you 100 i did the same i had nothing to sell for the first two and a half years started picking up a few online clients just because of the stuff I was talking about, but not, nothing really to sell at any scale. And then I released the program and everyone bought it. And it was just, I, I've, I, I actually had worked with someone recently who were asking about setting up their, like getting their Instagram going and stuff. They made a massive mistake. They released a program like at their, their first post was like a release of a program. And people will get the ick straight away. Like, oh, I was just looking at it. I was like, you just messed up big time here because he spent he spent about two months recording the program, doing all the website, all of this stuff, and then released the program. And I was like, if you just spent two years or two months just just delivering content and then released the program, you did it completely the wrong way around. So I and it's think- fuck all time in the grand scheme of things, because I think saying to someone two years when they're not passionate about content creation and they're not just passionate about sharing a message or anything like that. Mm-hmm. It is going to seem outrageous, but to someone who's like, oh, no, I can make content for two years straight. It's like, you actually have to love it for what it is. Yeah, exactly. And you just have to be committed and say, right, every day or every second day or every third day, I'm going to post something. That's it. And I, I tell everyone in my mentorship, I'm like, once when you grow on it, I'm like, you've got to commit to five days a week minimum sort of yeah. thing. That's what I did for the first so hard. And I stepped it up to every single day 
Um, and that, I've just honestly made it a game with myself. I just go on little streaks now. Like I'm streaking so hard right now. Um, I even got to the point where then since I wrapped up my uh, face-to-face business, I was like, mate, you can do two Instagram posts a day. It's not that bloody hard. You don't have any face-to-face clients anymore. So mm-hmm. then I committed to two a days, Monday to Friday, uh, and just one a days on the weekend. But even this weekend just passed. My creative muscles got so strong, knocked out two dingers on Saturday and Sunday this week. I was just like, all right, like, guess we can sort of do that. Um, Cause I was really worried about my ability to keep posting content yeah. uh, for an extended period of time. But I have realized that like everyone in the fitness industry just, or a lot of people just suck from a creative perspective. I really took for granted, like all the journalism that I did in university and all my previous experience from trying to manage a band and, and being a band and stuff. I'm like, Oh, right. It's like, it's the same as anything. It's just this muscle that you train up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've been, I've been questioning that for the last, two or three years it's like i am going to run out of content <laughs> and it never it still hasn't happened so the fitness industry will serve up some new bullshit for you to address at the bare minimum even if what you are doing is not changing you're like i've explained my process thoroughly enough some other idiot will come in like go to and they're like how about we never pronate a foot and you're like great mm-hmm. thank you for giving me something to talk about Bless exactly. go- like i again as much as i go to war with all these camps people like i love n1 i love goda and I mean it when I say that. I'm grateful that these entities exist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, there's, a, there's, there's things to learn and there's... Like, what I always say with that stuff is mo- human movement is relatively simple in some ways. We have the same shape of bones or like for the most part, our joints look pretty much the same, our muscles look pretty much the same. Yeah, there's structural differences. But if you're just getting people moving, then you're going to get some results because you're you're just going to get something right by getting someone moving. And that's where all these camps just argue with each other. And actually, a lot of them look like they're doing very similar things, you know? Any of the camp where there's just like a large concentration of joints and they're like, never move that. I'm like, ooh, this yeah. is controversial to me. Yeah. Um, because we're just, whether it's the proximal stability distal mobility gang or it's the go to people or like, sorry, I shouldn't be just hammering goader about this because there is so many camps in the fitness industry that think a foot shouldn't move but you know the old structure dictates function why we got joints there again like the fitness industry has been obsessed with the lumbar spine not moving again you look at all the evolutionary sort of stuff that's happened when we went from being a quadruped into a bipedal animal it's like why did we get an extra uh lumbar vertebrae it's like it seems like we needed some movement there maybe or my biggest bugbear is the i think to be honest, like the SNC world laughs the most at GOTA and functional patterns and all that stuff. And the ironic thing is, most SNC coaches, a lot of SNC coaches feel absolutely like dog shit. And if they're like, if they're being honest, and I get to talk to a lot of them because I work with them and I try and help them, and they're in pain like all of the time. And pain is fine, pain is normal if you're pushing yourself, but it shouldn't be normalized that like I should. Just to get stronger, it means I'm gonna have I'm gonna need to be in pain more. And yeah, they, those are the people that yeah, if they actually went and did some of them systems, they'd feel a lot better. Oh man, so pe- some people are just such conservatives. And again, a lot of those people, the people that you know, we have this industry where it's like deadlifts are, and lifting weights in general is horrible for your back. And now we've had this like movement optimism overcorrection where now people are like, uh, actually, you have a really unhealthy back if you can't deadlift at least double body weight. And I'm like. Eh, I don't know if deadlifts are good or bad for your back. I think they're just deadlifts. And like, because 
talk to most powerlifters. And they're like, yeah, my back feels like trash. I can still deadlift a lot of weight, but like back doesn't feel like loosey goosey sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the whole thing. I think that we're, the conversation that we've avoided for so long as an industry is like a lot of people are actually fine with being in a bit of pain. And then like, once you sort of then address all that sort of stuff, then you can have some much more productive conversations about like, all right, how far do we want to push all these things or what are our acceptable thresholds of X, Y, Z? But exactly. it just, it's about engaging in a more elaborate conversation about it. Guys, quick break from the show. Just wanted to tell you a little bit about upper body basics. If you haven't done it, if you've done lower body basics, which obviously you should have, then you should have done upper body basics as well. If you're interested in the breathing soft, there's a next section in the beginning, which basically just coaches air to breathe really, really well with pretty much zero tension in your body. Then there's kind of two phases where we progress on. So the first phase is a lot of like getting the scap to glide over the rib cage, getting the ribs to expand in different directions, learning how to reach, things like that. And then the second phase is like adding a little bit of load to some of that stuff, training triceps and biceps in ways that still promote expansion, getting the ribs to move. Um, so if you're someone who has upper body like tightness, niggles, anything like that, spine, rib cage, definitely do it. And then obviously if you're a coach or a therapist as well, same thing. Most coaches and therapists have niggles as well, but um, you, you should do it. And then there's like, I don't know, something like 60 exercises and you'll see kind of a rough idea of how I progress my upper body clients. So check the link in the show notes for upper body basics and we're back to the show. Exactly. The pain, the pain stuff is it's you don't want to go too far in either direction because like fine if you're a powerlifter who's going to be competing you're going to accept that you're just going to feel like trash a hell of a lot of the time like a a large percentage of the year or any probably any competitive sport they do you do see studies like crossfit okay crossfit has x less injury rate than all of these other sports and everyone says crossfit is dangerous the people that say crossfit is dangerous is is stupid but what these studies don't necessarily account for is like i'm not injured but i feel like dog shit it's like (laughs) how 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 do you how do you how do you measure that i i don't expect to see many injuries in crossfit because the movements are planned it's not like they're going to be tearing acls and tearing hamstrings and that's the chronic it's the chronic like my I, I just have woken up in pain every day for the last whatever and to be honest that's not necessarily anything to do with crossfit it's just like the amount of volume and intensity they're moving at every single day of the week and for hours and hours and hours on end so you have to measure the like how shit i actually feel not how injured i am yeah yeah and that that's where things go off the rails and like because no one wants to embrace subjectivity or anything like that unless you're mm-hmm. sipping that john carly kool-aid like me and you are but <laughs> yeah I, I, john is john is my John's my favorite guy, I think. I think I'm going to try oh, and... He hates compliments too. It's all like you try to <laughs> gas him up and again, he just has this horrible, not horrible reaction to it, but you, you can tell it makes him very uncomfortable. Like, man, you're so smart. He's like, oh, no, no, no. I just think a lot. And- <laughs> yeah. He's, um, that's it. That's, that's an Irish thing big time. Like, I don't know, maybe, maybe in other parts of the world it is as well. But for instance, we had a, um, a player that I, a, a Gaelic footballer and a hurler that I played with just retired uh, two days ago. He's 39. He played since he was 16 at the highest level and he has the most, no, I'm not, I'm not going to give too much detail away because people were Googling. Uh, out out the bloke. Yeah. 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 But he has, he has several like team of the year, all stars, like, and he has all, all of these things, but he retired the other day and my brother sent him a text saying like, I'm, I actually need to text him today. He just said it was like, it was an honor playing with you. You were the best player I ever played with, blah, blah, blah. 
and he he texts he texts my brother back Tony. He goes, Tony, I was a very very average player. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like no. <laughs> Tony literally said, "I've played against some of the best players in the game." <sighs> And you were probably better than all of them. <laughs> and it's just, I'm very, very it's average. Like, your opinion doesn't mean shit to me. I know I'm average. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that, and that's why I was like, it comes to a point where like people can't take compliments. You end up dissing the person who's given it to you. <laughs> yeah. I was like, for once, this one time, I just want you to say, thank you. Sit there and take it. Yeah. yeah like, exactly. I believe this to be true and I need you to hear it. Don't yeah. respond. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just thank you. So, um, so yeah, where are you at with the... Uh, compression expansion model oh man I, I don't talk about it explicitly anymore um because it started copping a bit of heat and like and people were drilling it way too hard and there, there are a bunch of loonies as well who are into it as well because once you release an idea out into the public space like it's the same with the pri thing some people grab it and they know how to steer it productively and other people just use it to drive into a wall um, mm-hmm. ultimately it still completely underpins my entire understanding of human movement my whole brand is sort of centered around saying like hey all of these different sports where everyone's got their different rules it's like oh i'm a basketball guy oh i'm a weightlifting coach oh i'm a track and field guy i'm like eh, you're dealing with humans at the end of the day two arms two legs pretty much the same equipment and stuff like that ultimately and and, and people are probably already rolling their eyes being like angus i know and i've seen more than two types of movement in my life but i'm like it's the shape of the human And it's the constraints of the task that made it look different. Again, ultimately, we just have wind up actions and force production actions. And it's funny because like, I know you're sort of, you're open to some of the compression expansion Kool-Aid or I don't know how much you went down the rabbit hole, but what I loved so much about the model is like this understanding of zone two concepts or mid propulsive concepts seem to line up with like all this delayed knee extension or proximal to distal extension uh, that you're saying. So I guess people like Franz Bosch is sort of saying, and even just like these concepts that Adarian Barr's talking about, like shin angle changes and stuff like that, or like understanding why weightlifters rebend their knees halfway through their pull and things like that when you know apparently they're just trying to get to triple extension and things like that but that's like oh no we can probably explain propulsion in a bit more of a sophisticated manner than that um so as a long rambly answer i am still absolutely loving the compression expansion stuff it's mm-hmm. just the way i try to educate people on it i sort of try to feed them all of the compression expansion concepts in the old language and i'm like gotcha you do like the compression expansion model because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I think it has just been chronically misrepresented by a lot of people who don't understand it and like because so many of the claims are outlandish and and at face value um mm-hmm. and they do need to be contextualized as well and because mm-hmm. the reality is human movement is more similar than the compression expansion model it is very reductionist but that's why i like it because again the whole rhetoric has been for so long oh human movement's too complicated i'm like well this guy literally made it down into boiled it all down to two types of movement for you and you still bitching and moaning that it's overcomplicated. it's not overcomplicated. it's just different yeah but but on the flip side there's another argument which is it's too simple so it's like, okay, this is unbelievably complex stuff that this person is talking about, and I don't understand it. But then the, the, the next day, that person would say, that's way too simplistic for to describe human movement. So it's like, no, you're just looking at this simplistic thing, and you haven't gone deeper down the rabbit hole to say, okay, this is the explanation for the simplistic side of it. And I think the most important thing with human movement to remember is, like I know I said earlier, it's it's simple in terms of like the bones and all of this, the shapes, but like what's going on under the hood, under the hood is not simple. We we don't have a fucking clue 
what the about the human brain. AI, like they are so far away from everyone's like, okay, the robots are gonna take over the world. They don't have a clue Dude, what's half going on. the world doesn't have access to centralized banking. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> we are not stepping into the metaverse anytime soon. <laughs> no, exactly. So if you ask in the next 50 years, if you ask someone to understand consciousness and try and recreate it, or 100 years, I would wager, that is not going to happen, not going to come anywhere close. Now, the computers will get very smart where they can trick people into believing they're conscious, but they're not conscious. But how can we understand human movement without understanding the brain and the nervous system? We can't. So we have to, it, it, so we have to appreciate the complexity and then try and simplify it because it's the yeah. only way we can make progress. That's yeah, because Bill Hartman nails it. He's like, you know, everyone, sorry, I don't know if he doesn't say it like this, but there's a lot of George Box rhetoric, like, oh, all systems are wrong, sort of thing. But the way Bill Hartman sort of says it is just like, reality is way too overwhelmingly complex. We deliberately need reductionist, oversimplified models just to orient ourselves and try to understand what we're trying to do. He's mm-hmm. got this wonderful metaphor. He's like, you know, think about. Would you want a realistic representation of America if you were trying to navigate around it for the first time? It's like you think about what a map is. It's not drawn to scale at all. The roads, the way they're drawn on the map, it's like, well, that thing would be like 100 miles wide, that highway. But it's not. It's reductionist and it's it's out of scale and it's not truly representative, but it's so useful. And, and it being more accurate actually makes it less useful. Uh, and I think that that's something that a lot of people can't wrap their heads around. It's like more accurate does not mean more useful with your model. That is not even the intention of having a model. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just useful. Yeah, that, that, that phrase, like all models are wrong, some are useful. Isn't that useful? Like it's useful in terms of, okay, I understand all models are wrong, but it's, that phrase isn't particularly useful because I don't know what's wrong with the model. You know, like all models are wrong, but I don't know which part is wrong. So. How, how does that help me? It, do, it doesn't really help me. All I know is it's useful and I can appreciate that it's wrong, but I don't know where. So I have to keep going anyway. And, and I know because I know you had Greg Hawthorne on the show last week and he understands the compression expansion model in a way that I'll never probably wrap my he head lives around. It. It. He loves it. Yeah. And he, he's been to the intensive, right? Mm-hmm. Like I've, uh, I've had, I think so. Yeah. I presume he has. I've had barely any interaction whatsoever with Bill Hartman. I've just been this outside fan sort of observer. But just what I wish the average person understood about it is just this concept of pattern one and pattern two and just start looking for it. And people will be like, that's confirmation bias. I'm like, yeah, good. Confirm some biases. There's been too much bias challenging in this industry or at least rhetoric around it. Uh, just once you start looking for these patterns, it'll lead to other discoveries and then you'll be off down the same rabbit hole as me. But ultimately, yeah, you just see these people wind up and you're like, ah, so much flexion, abduction, external rotation or expansion as we call it in this model. And then you're like, oh, whenever people try to put force into the ground, everything just draws in towards the midline. And and this is stuff that people already know without being able to describe it. Because again, say you're trying to leverage yourself. Someone's trying to like arm bar you or kimura you in jujitsu. What do they do? They try to get your arm away from your body, expand the system like globally sort of speaking and what do you do you internally rotate you keep it in close towards your midline because we have this implicit understanding that we are better leveraged when we're in towards our midline and then all of a sudden you're like oh that's not a collapse when that sprint is on one leg that's them pushing into the ground and centering over that leg and oh that's why a weightlifter's knees move in towards their midline in the hardest part of a squat and then all of a sudden now we're like starting to see these patterns. It's just like, okay, overcoming in towards the midline, yielding, opening up away from the midline. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just wish people saw it more for that. Yeah, but people, don't, people aren't looking. 
that's the problem because when I when I went and did anatomy in motion with Gary, he he described two movements, which was full body pronation, full body supination. That was it. Now him and Bill do have and PRI and some other course. They do have some strong enough points of contention. They don't know they do, but they they're a, a, like. There's points that they would definitely strongly disagree, like say, no, you are 100% wrong on this. And I actually think I found a middle ground on it. Um, <laughs> that I, I actually think I, I did love the Gary Ward uh, close chain biomechanics of the lower limb. Shout out to you for getting me onto that. Yeah, I haven't, I actually haven't done it because I, I think I haven't done the online one, but I've done the in person one. And um, I think Gary is, is phenomenal, but I think it's, uh, he's, he's like, He's one of the few people that I ha- really admire for saying, okay, they're actually different to me. There is a few people in the industry that I think are like just different to me. I don't have the same horsepower as them. I don't have the, my oven just doesn't turn up as hot as them. Bill is definitely one where my oven like goes to 200 and his goes to 300. It just, he, he just has more horsepower up there, up, up top. So Gary is definitely one of those, but it ultimately it's a it's a model that describes walking gait. And when you see people using that model and then trying to transfer that into the weight room or into running or into sprinting, they get it wrong. They they get it they they get it wrong because they don't under, necessarily understand the fa- they don't understand like Bosch would talk about phase transitions between walking running sprinting there's phase transitions where the muscles are doing different things and then bill and pri will talk about compression expansion and really like pronation is actually this thing and oh, dude, don't walk- ask me about muscles i'm a bones guy as well like yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. as soon as soon as people are talking about like penation angle and that influencing the behavior of a muscle like that bosch stuff where it gets really into the muscle architecture I'm in. I'm into it. I'm like, yeah, sounds good, but like, I can't challenge that because I just, I just have to take your word for this. But um, yeah, it's a lovely story. Like, I, I get around yeah. the story of it. Yeah, look, it's it's good. There's way more research there, and the, the issue with that is when people talk about muscles, I mostly talk about bones and just movements in general. The issue with that is you can't see it, whereas I can see the movement. I can see what like the bone is doing, what direction it's moving. I can see the movement. So that's something that like you could sit down and have an argument with Bosch about, no, look, it's th- he's doing this thing and we can slow it down and break it down. But with the muscle, it's like, no, I need some research and we're not there on the research yet either. But it does help. Understanding the tendons and the muscles does help start to appreciate how energy is transferred better. That's, uh, that's where I think that can be very, very useful, but it is tricky and hard to understand. So yeah. that's your and, next, and well, that's your next project. Then- contrasting it with like how we encourage people to move in the weight room and then it's like oh okay now i'm sort of understanding why people potentially run into problems with like a uh, let's say a real traditional snc model with that old rule set of like never move a foot never move a rib cage never protract a shoulder blade yeah that's that's an issue you know what i was actually i might do like a post today or something that like all all movements Every exercise is useful for the right person, every single one, except for the Palaf press. I think it's the stupidest <laughs> exercise in the history of oh, the world. Oh, Graham Morris would be in tears. 
Does he use Palo Fresh? He's the only, like, is only out of respect for him. Nah, but he always modifies it, adds in something hectic to it. So, sorry, Gray, for calling you out there. He's That's probably doing, like, an isometric the and then an oscillation. No, is he or no, something? Yeah, he is, he is. It's always more gnarly than just a regular Palo Fresh. Palo Fresh, if you have a, a starting your grave, I'll get you back on to discuss this. But if you have an athlete who's, like, an Aussie rules player, a rugby player, and they're used to moving someone that's 100 kilos or moving at very, uh, very fast. You just get someone standing there with a shitty band and, and bracing. Like it takes them, it takes them 10 seconds to learn the exercise and then they have it forever. And all they just use is a small little, like stronger band or something. But then even that runs out at some stage. So there is zero progression. And my man my, to talk to would be Grant Fowler because he can. He can progressively overload anything. And if he can't progressively overload it, then I'm like, it simply cannot be done. I'm sure you can overload it. But like the movement just looks that if someone can learn a movement in 10 seconds, it, it's it's bullshit. Like, and also if the if you if you have a team of athletes or a group of athletes and the best person in the room looks the same as the worst or the worst person looks the same as the best person, then that means it's the wrong drill because the I, best I, person should look better than the worst person. I entirely reject all isometric core training just because I'm like, well, if you're lifting heavy, it's like, that's it. But yeah. there's that. And then the rest of the time, move the thing. Like, yeah. That's the unique opportunity. It's like, you can get strong as shit core just from like loading up barbells on yourself, especially in an isometric sense. Like, yeah. man, if you want to stiffen up a thorax, like, I can tell you how to do that. <laughs> yeah. The, the, only, the only time I will use isometrics, there's some in my core program, but it's paired with uh, like you're breathing through it. So it's like, a, well, it's just a way to I mean, in that sense, it it's not though, because you're still really driving. Uh, you're trying to promote expansion. expansion. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Whereas most Might people not do say their, it yet. Yeah, most people are doing their bracing or their, their exercises where it's just like bracing down and, and doing an isometric there. But at the same time, in fairness, if you are doing a plank or a side plank and you're, and you're doing a breathing exercise, unless you're actually good at, like you, unless you really understand how to do the breathing in it, you won't get anything nice to happen. It will just be, there will just be too much tension there. So you're probably better off just saying, okay, I'm going to promote movement in the spine, the thorax, the rib cage, like, just in 360 degrees and just do a relaxed breathing drill separate to that. I think then trying to pair them both together doesn't really, doesn't really work so well. Strength coaches and stuff as well. You try to teach them the concept of like relaxation, which you've really helped me with because like you can't, if you haven't felt relaxation in a certain part of your body, it's this very esoteric concept. It's like trying to explain the taste of peanut butter to someone when they've never had it before. Whereas like, you know, as a strength coaches, we're so good at like actively squeezing things, but then this idea of effortless movement or relaxation, again, so foreign to us. Whereas it wasn't until I experienced that uh, little neck routine that you put in upper body basics. I was like, oh, I just felt my neck relax for the first time in my life. And um, the point you made about like, it's then ability to keep the airway open uh, and mm -hmm. just to relax some of that accessory breathing musculature. Mm. Yeah. Well, and, and then also, sorry, just another thing, just uh, the volume of air you're pushing in and out of the system. It's just like, no, no. It's like, if you try to move too much air, you are going to recruit accessory breathing musculature. Like everyone thinks they're doing their diaphragmatic breathing by breathing heaps deeper. I'm like, diaphragm's still working, but like, that's a great way to turn everything else. Up. Like, what do you think is pulling the extra volume of air in? It's like, mm -hmm gonna recruit other tissues mm -hmm. turn them breathing into a compound movement 100 mm -hmm. that's 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 and actually funnily enough i think i spoke about this as well i think pri get that massively wrong as well 
Dude, surf rough. life-saving taught me how to open an airway once I reconnected it with what you were teaching mm-hmm. because... No, no, PRI get that taught. right. They get that oh, right, right, but they force the breathing. Oh, they, they go, like, bring the intensity. They, they force that, like, really strong exhale, and you'll get it to the point where, like, people are choking, like... Oh, oh, dude, and now that's in what here. it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, that, it, it and then ribs work. just... Yeah, it doesn't work. Well, no, but are they, like... The strongest exhale ever. I don't want to say they like, but I have seen a lot of this. It and is common, yeah. It and it it is in some of the PRI courses. This is how they coach it. But it's like the strongest exhale, get everything out, and then it's like hold that. Don't let them lower ribs remove. Like brace as much as you can. Um, and they, and then inhale from there. And I think I've seen it where a lot of the, some of their like main people are coaching like that, and then they're progressing them through their algorithm. And then they say, okay, now you need to go to eye, an eye doctor or a dentist or something like that, which I think is that stuff is incredibly valuable as well. Yeah. And, and they push them towards in that direction because like their algorithm didn't work for them. Their left hamstring, your left adductor, your oblique. Yeah, so let's go to a splint, mouth splint then because the left exactly. didn't turn on. Yeah. Instead Sorry, of and just I know that's hyperbole. Some PRI people cringe hearing us talk about that. But and I think because where they're right and like I think this is probably where you ended up taking me to is like, no, we need an emphasis on the exhale, but this whole thing still has to be relatively speaking an exercise in relaxation. Cause we're trying to promote movement. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I don't want to, I, I, I want, I, I like, I always try to be careful because I am critical of some of the PRI things, but that doesn't mean I'm like, I think it's very, very valuable. And I just think there's some little tweaks, but they got way more right than they got wrong with, with that regard just people that Dude, just take it out of context strength coaches shit on pri and i'm like they nailed so much stuff about strength training that all you bozos missed yeah. <laughs> all that knees in no pri people are shocked by that when you're doing a heavy squat they might mm-hmm. not like heavy lifting at all but at least they understand why your body's doing it whereas strength coaches like glute made shut off <laughs> it's mm-hmm. like dude you're yeah. just so primitive yeah and they understand why people can't get down in the squat you know <laughs> and 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 hip shifts and the thing I've never been able to reconcile with the PRI guys is like PRI is the system that I uh, attribute to my understanding that the human body is fundamentally asymmetrical, but it then seems like they refuse to accept that asymmetry because the Holy Grail, at least from my outsider's perspective, having never done a PRI course, just being an outside sort of enjoyer, was there just on this mission constantly to get left stance. I'm like, why would you have left stance? Like, you just told me this heaps eloquent story about all the things that pull us to the right. And I understand, like, we don't want to have it these abhorrent, you know, because you, you do have two arms, two legs, you know, there's symmetrical aspects to us as well. So then we need competency on both sides. But just this expectation that anyone would ever be able to find left stance. And, mm-hmm. and, and that's it. Maybe I need to go down the deeper down the PRI rabbit hole. Ron, Ron talks about how important asymmetry is. He, okay, yeah. So they do embrace it. 100%. Ultimately. He, he actually loves asymmetry. <laughs> um, I think the line would be something like, it's just when you lose the ability to manage it. And I, I would be on board with that as well. Uh, he doesn't ever expect anyone to be symmetrical. And I think they, what they're looking for is, is neutrality which means you're still asymmetrical, but they're, to, to them, neutrality means you can pass from one side to the other. And right. Yeah. And no one should ever expect to be symmetrical. And also, symmetry is still an important thing to chase in a lot of regards, especially in my world in rehab. 
you have a post-op ACL and they're 70% less quad strength on that ACL side, we are going to chase symmetry as much as possible. And actually, we want it to be asymmetrical in the other way. We want that side to be even stronger. Also, it's, it's fine and dandy saying to someone like a, a powerlifter, a hip shift is absolutely fine. Because why would we expect it to be absolutely perfect when none of your table measurements look the same? Your muscle bulk on each side doesn't look the exact same. Your bodyweight squat doesn't look the exact same. So when we load it up, why would it look the exact same? That's fine. Until you meet the powerlifter that's just like, I feel like I'm lifting the fucking thing on my right leg only. Then absolutely, I'm going to chase symmetry while understanding I'm never going to actually be symmetrical. So I've never seen anyone squat a world record with a whole foot hip shift. Like, mm-hmm. there's definitely just this point where I'm like, I've never seen that do that well. Just so it feels like a common sense thing. It's like, can I get a bit more out of that other side of you? Mm-hmm. And, and like you were saying as well, like so many people, we tell them how to feel. We're like, a hip shift's not a problem. And I, I've had elite powerlifters come to me and I know they're not neurotic people because they're always putting heavy barbells on their back. And they're like, I just want to feel like both sides are contributing. It's, it's so frustrating being in a bilateral context all the time, yet only thrashing by right side. And I'm like, Welcome to PRI land. Let's chase yeah. some left stance. Hundred percent, exactly. And but the, the the movement optimization side of things is like, okay, hip shifts are fine. Just tell everyone hip shifts. I shouldn't are fine. say welcome to PRI land because that's not <laughs> what I do at all. I usually give people just like less weight. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's that's the thing people say. But hip it all comes fine. from PRI. Ultimately, it comes, yeah, like the asymmetrical side. Of, another guy argued well, one one day when I put up a post about asymmetry, and I said that. Like my knowledge on this comes from comes from PRI on the asymmetrical side of things. And he he was like, he was a, a physio and he was like, no, this is in the research. This is nothing to do with PRI, blah, blah, blah. And I said, my knowledge of it comes from PRI and how I actually use it comes from PRI. Of course, I understood that we have one heart for my whole life and it doesn't sit exactly in the middle of my body. But like, what was I going to do with that information as someone who was... <laughs> Who was working with someone with knee pain? I wasn't going to do fucking anything with it. So, some people just hate PRI, and usually they're the people who haven't t- taken. They don't know anything about it. They can't actually give you any kind of a decent criticism towards it. Not got to find it at the right time because to me, PRI met me at a time in my life when no one could explain the knees in in heavy squatting thing to me. No one could explain that people were consistently shifting to one side and then they were just like, and again, like just this system that younger Angus would have had such a horrible visceral reaction to like, what the hell are these idiots doing? They don't lift heavy. They've always got balloons in their mouths. But like I said, just so many strength coaches, if they could just open themselves up to a bit of the PRI movement lens. Oh my God, you'd have so many questions answered quickly. Even the movement optimism crowd, like now, you know, we're going down this path of like, there's no bad movements and things like that. But people have still got a half-baked technical model. Like they're like, okay, so I know I can let my spine flex under load. I know I can let my foot pronate, but they don't know how to like use these moves with intent. They just allow them. Whereas when you round out your technical model by embracing a bit of the meathead stuff and embracing a bit of the PRI stuff, and then you go to movement optimism, then you can still have a really coherent technical model, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. 100%. And look, for that, I just look at the sprinting world, the track and field world. They have such a clear technical model. They're, and the track and field coaches are the best coaches by far because they're the skill coach and the the sport, like they, they coach the skill and they do a lot of the strength and conditioning. And if they're working in four year cycles where they're dealing with like 0.1 of a second or like the, the, 
at one inch and you you're just fucked. You're not even you're not even qualified. So like they have instant feedback a lot of the time on what they're doing. And they have technical models that are unbelievably robust. And I understand that people have different ways of doing things. But if you don't have a technical model, then you can just say to someone, well, I don't care if you go way in this direction or way in that direction. Both are right. But when you see in the 100 meter sprint, all the best sprinters look more similar than different. None of them are spent. None of them are running backwards. Yeah, none of them see are someone who runs like me at a hundred yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So we can look at like that person's probably more narrow. That person's probably wider. That person like pronates their foot more, is more squatted, is taller. But like like Franz Bosch says, the attractors are almost all there. Or are but all just, there? Would people pay too much lip service to self organization? I'm like, yeah, teach someone to snatch. Let me know how they self organize. Like, mm-hmm. leave me in a room with a barbell for a year and a video of a snatch demonstration and then come back and see what it looks like. <laughs> it won't be pretty. Or, like, yeah. learn it. Like, again, I've learned a lot of instruments or just like anyone like who's learned to swing a golf club. It's like, yeah, self organization, bruh. Like, yeah. Nah, nah you need yeah. someone at least shaping the environment for you to behave properly. Like, yeah. Especially self-organization is it's nicer to think about when someone is newer because they just need reps. So like they just if you if you try and get someone to snatch on their first day and you just show them one snatch and then you say off you go for the next three weeks and and work on that. They actually will get a lot better. But at some stage, you're going to hit a massive wall where one cue could be the difference. And. This has happened with me in several different sports where someone's just like, no, you just need to do it that way. And I just get like 10% better immediately. So my body wasn't self-organization organizing in that direction whatsoever. And it never probably would have. So uh, that's where we actually need to be coaches. And that you just summed up what good coaching is. It's the hero's journey. Like ultimately it comes down to the individual meeting the person at the right time. Not just this, like what now coach, what now coach, what now coach, what now coach. It's like you run into this person when you've got someone yourself to a certain stage and then they just unlock this barrier for you. And then you're off again on your own, like doing it yourself. Mm -hmm. How's your mentorship going? So we're in the, depending on where this comes out, intake for mentorship six will probably be closed because we're in the last five days of that now. It's like, yeah, I can't believe I'm up to mentorship six, but um, I'm actually really starting to become really, really comfortable with that whole process. But then I think the next one to open up will be, we'll have one in like early to mid January sort of thing. So if you are interested, drop a line for that. We'll have some sort of really nice value early bird offering. How many a year are you doing? I go so the it's a quarterly sort of thing. So just get yeah. through four every year. But I left my run a little bit late. I took a extended break from uh, mentoring because I had two back to back rounds of it to round off last year, and it was just so much change last year. It was just a mm-hmm. lot to wrap my head around. So I had to squeeze the last two in a little bit closer together to round mm-hmm. out the year. How many weeks is it? Eight weeks. So go through just the whole like worldview thing. Like, cause I feel like the main reason people just bounce around too many courses is they just have a cooked worldview or they don't realize how much their worldview impacts the way that they view fitness systems and human behavior as a whole. And then we go down breathing for a week, uh, the gate rabbit hole for a week. Then we have week four, which is just all movement models. We sort of look at, integrate a lot of the biopsychosocial concepts as well. Week five, assessment and exercise selection. Week six, programming. Week seven, content creation and business structure. And then week eight, just because it's bounced around so much, we just go through a nice wrap-up week. Very nice. And is it um, a mix of people coming on? 
I, yeah, I can't believe it. Because like, as much as, again, I'm always just trying to be like, yeah, yeah, everyone can learn from this. No, it's not just for weightlifting coaches. It's not just for PT. I'm always shocked uh, and really proud of the diversity of coaches. I could, I'm trying to think of a sport or an industry professional that we haven't had in the mentorship. It's just mm-hmm. phenomenal. And, and then it, it proves my theory in real time out to everyone. I'm like, you see all these people and here we all are using the same language and sharing ideas and contributing to each other's thoughts. I'm like, it's not just this like, all right, I'm in your space. So I listen to you. It's like, no, you as a weightlifting coach can talk to a basketball coach and you can contribute to their understanding of even what they do. Yeah, 100%. If you look at the compression expansion people, that go that actually understand it. They can look at any sport and understand pretty much what's going on. Not the skills of it, or wh- but why someone moves their body in that way. Now, I would say a large percentage of them are. are I don't know. I don't want to be unfair. Like a, 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 a lot of them that I've seen, some of them are not great coaches. They don't. They don't. Either it's a communication thing with their client, or like it's a progressive overload thing or whatever but if you ask them to break down the movement i bet you i bet you they could really really well so their their taste might be different and what they want might be different but in terms of their analysis it'll be bang on 100 percent, and that's not a flaw of the model the the model is there to help you analyze it it's not necessarily to say okay you need to be a better you need to be a better communicator or you need to understand pain science or you need to understand strength training better it's just a model for looking at movement and as a model for looking at movement it is probably the best one out there i think there's so many loony people in this industry i'm trying to think of an idea that you could release in this space that wouldn't get dumpstered by some crowd of people taking 100%. It the wrong way like 100%. unfortunately as much, i again i love so many people in this industry and i love this industry as a whole but yeah i've just the way i've seen so many brilliant ideas i'm like how could this go wrong and i'm like oh no, there we even like <laughs> you know i was like how could we ruin evidence-based practice but then the fitness industry was like hold my beer I, we yeah. can completely trivialize science <laughs> yeah yeah and that's why the critical thinking is like is really at the end of the day the only thing that really matters and is very hard to teach and that's why i try to be not that harsh on people who do like on the models or the on the systems, I try to be not that harsh on them because it's going to happen to me. It's going to happen to you. It's probably already has happened to both of us where we talk about an idea. Someone goes off and says something. This is okay. This is the way it is. Oh. And it's not what we said at all. And it's the most like fear inducing feeling. You're like, what did I just do? Like, did mm-hmm. I, is that what I said? Like, that's what you got from that. Um, yeah, I, again, I've heard that echoed by a whole bunch of educators. So yeah, yeah it's definitely changed my attitude a little bit as yeah. much as I'm still out there swinging for the fences uh, yeah. in the Instagram space, being critical of people. I do have a appreciation now, at least, and a bit more sympathy. Yeah. hundred percent. They're just, things are taken out of context. And then, and that happens, uh, like I said to you, I think before we came on, that happens in the physio world all the time someone comes into me, they've been with 10 physios and like, it's easy for me to make a post about it. Oh, a physio told this person they shouldn't pick up their baby because they have like back pain and they shouldn't pick up their baby ever again. But like, did they say that? (laughs) (laughs) Or did you just, was there some kind of conversation that it was like, okay, today maybe just don't pick up your baby because you might have like some very, very acute 
issue here. So like, just be careful for today. And then that person went and told every other Surely physio. they didn't say, like, just don't pick him up again. Just leave him on the ground. Don't care how loud it's screaming. Uh, maybe. <laughs> but that's certainly what the, the client is going around telling everyone they said. So like, yeah, it's it's happened to me as well. People have said, uh, this this person said something. I'm like, I clear as day did not say that in any way, shape or form. I've also kind of accepted now that like, if I want to say what I'm here to say, uh, I have to embrace being misinterpreted by a certain net amount of people because yeah. otherwise I'm going to be left in a place where I have to consistently water down the message that I'm trying to get yeah. out there for the people who are like me and for the people who do get it. And I think there's enough people out there. Yeah. That's what I'm seeing sort of now. I'm like, no, nah, no, nah, it's, you, I have to accept that some people aren't going to understand what I'm trying to do here because their personal experience has just been too different. But yeah. there are going to be people who've had a similar enough personal experience and journey through this fitness industry that my information is going to meet them exactly where they're at. And those are the people that I'm ultimately here for rather mm-hmm. than just sort of half rejecting them to embrace these people that are sort of like getting my half baked message because they haven't had the right personal sort of context. Mm-hmm. 100%. There's one I don't want, I have never brought up this person's name before, but he's been very popular recently. Andrew Tate. He said one thing on the people are going to get triggered now, even me mention his name, but he did an interview with Piers Morgan the other day. And Piers Morgan was like, you said this thing like five years ago. What do you think of it now? And he said, regardless of what he said, whatever he said, before I was famous, if I said something and 500 people heard it and 1% misinterpreted it, that wasn't an issue. But now if 50 million people hear it and 1% misinterpreted, that is a big issue. So I need to be, I need to be more clear with what I say. And I've, I, that has got in on me. Not that it, like I'm at 50,000 now versus when I was at 500 people. I, I am definitely more careful with my words. I'm not trying to dilute, dilute my message, but I am more like, okay. Like you said earlier, I'm more critical of myself and I'm more like, it's actually, it's actually the opposite. Cause what you see with a lot of big co- accounts is they were like probably doing good stuff and then they hit a like critical mass of a hundred thousand followers and they're just like i'm gonna fucking post anything now so yeah. i've gone the <laughs> yeah. exact opposite of that my experience has been more similar to yours yeah because i was nervous i was like oh is there a point where i go off the rails and like start <laughs> selling crystals to people like because that's yeah. pretty much what i've seen out of everyone i'm like oh no no, no. if anything I'm sort of getting more conservative yeah yeah it, it might happen though maybe you're just not there yet or you're just like fuck this, I'm just going to sell every single thing I can. And it, it happens on with all the, it happens to everyone because not just in this industry, it happens to like, you know, all these celebrities, they're like being careful and then they hit a critical mass and they're just like, buy this shitty crypto coin. Yeah, <laughs> that, that, there's the out. You see yeah. it, it's like, this. here it is, there's the exit plan. Yeah, this is the point where they just went, I don't give a fuck anymore. I'm like, I'm so far detached from all of these other, my fans that like, I never have to see them because I'm so rich that I'll never go bump into one of them again. So they can't say anything. So I just can't wait to see if I can ever get myself to a point of exposure where some just average person is like, you know, what's the problem with the fitness industry? Angus Bradley. Yeah. <laughs> I bet it's, it's, fucking, on, it's happened. It's happened. I guarantee it's happened. So you've, you've made it already. So yeah. Thank you very much for for coming on. I enjoyed the chat as always. And you've done been good to see your growth over the over the years. And I remember when we first chatted, probably over three years ago now, probably, maybe four. A while ago now. Mm-hmm. You were uh you've consistently progressed since then. I forget how much you've seen. 
Yeah. <laughs> I've seen a laugh. I've seen a laugh. <laughs> yeah, wow. You've just been there the whole time. No, and for everyone listening, like, like I said, like what I get up to might seem quite distant from like the specific interventions and stuff that uh, Dave practices, at least in terms of our social media content. But yeah, it is so applicable to so many people who are outside of his space. And I'm just so grateful for all the stuff you put out there, the stuff that's lined up perfectly with this compression expansion rabbit hole I've been down, but then some things to sort of, you know, shake me out and be like, I don't know, there's a bit more going on here sometimes. <laughs> it should uh, it should line up because if anyone's actually look open their eyes and looking at movement, you should be able to, Bill is, Bill is just better at describing it. You know, but what he's describing, I've been talking about for years. I just couldn't, not, not, not anywhere near the detail or anything like that, but it's just what I fucking saw. And it's because oh, I had a 16 percent. It's just because I had an unconventional route into the industry where I wasn't told this is what it is. I was like, I'm, like, I'm just looking at that movement and that's not what, I, what it says in the book there. So. Yeah, you're the man. You're doing you're doing a a, a brilliant job. I think you're I I think you're helping a lot of people. And I think your posting strategy and all that stuff, I know you get a bit of flack for it, but like I I have no issue there. I think you're trying to give value to people and you're just articulating your thoughts. So it's gonna be nice to see your growth over the next couple of years as well. And I think the the workshops will probably do very, very, very well. I can't wait to just do some general physical preparation ones. Like the idea of like going back and just doing the whole weightlifting workshops. I'm like, I just want to connect because the whole thing of the weightlifting workshops, it's just more. Anyway, rambling too long. General physical preparation. Everything's more the same than different. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Are the ones you're doing at the moment one day ones? Yeah. One day seminars. There is going to be a bit of a, we've got a special guest who we still haven't announced for the return to the UK GPP seminar. Um, so that one's going to have a bit of a different structure, but I can't spoil that. Just announce it. Come but on. Yeah, the, the Perth and the do I know the person? Seminar. Yeah, you do. <laughs> do I have to edit it out? Uh, how long can, before this comes out? I'll chat to some people. I, it, might, it might be. Fine. I'll beep just, the name. I'll just beep the name. Okay, no, no, beep the name. I was just know as well. Yeah, <laughs> I was just like, who, who would be? Why in? did I even go near that, knowing you would pick it? <laughs> yeah, I was like, who would be in the? Who would be in the name? So you're gonna do two day one? No, nah, no, nah, it'll still be one, day, one day. It'll be a special little surprise. Okay, you could do two days. Oh, no, no, no. We are deliberately not doing two days because that's what they said. And then we talked about it a bit more. And then, like I said, something that's never been done before, maybe. So you're only doing your... No, hang end on. End the call you have so to explain. I can talk about it properly. <laughs> I okay, mean, I'm end ending. the <laughs> Okay, I'm out. Thanks. Um. <laughs> hey, guys. Hope you really enjoyed that episode with Angus. Uh, when I say guys, by the way, I mean guys and girls. I just call everyone. So don't feel hopefully left out if you are a girl but i'm just going to keep saying guys so just know that that applies to you as well i hope you enjoyed the episode good episode good chat really good fun just relax like just someone that you know i i feel like i could just sit down have a beer and chat about all this stuff and it actually doesn't even feel like you're on a podcast most of the time so so yeah i hope that was really good just quick note on dgr interactive alina canner actually if you listen to the episode with Alina, where we went into like our kind of our journey with PRI and diving all all over the place with the different courses and talking about our learnings from there. 
you should listen to that episode and Alina also just did a excuse me a presentation for DJ Interactive so it's about 25 or 30 minutes long just goes into the common asymmetries in the human being so she talks a little bit about the eyes the teeth the jaw the ribs the pelvis the feet footwear all that stuff so really important framework to have an understanding of asymmetries are important to understand even if you understand that all humans are asymmetrical you should understand why they're asymmetrical and when it becomes maybe too much or what you might want to do about it so that's a, a really important presentation and then my last few solo videos that i did on there were talking about knee flexion actually improving knee flexion how you would improve it passively on the table slash kind of semi manual assisted work and then actively how to really how to spot like a common strength deficiency in knee flexion and how to actually train that i have some like data on before and after some strength testing and stuff like that and what i pretty much do with all clients who are like patellofemoral post-op knees distal hamstring issues all that stuff those videos are really really important because ultimately one of the worst injuries you could get in your body is a knee injury because when you see people who stop bending their knees who stop wanting to flex into their knees their whole gait cycle goes off everything is everything is thrown off you can have shoulder injuries you can have elbow injuries wrist hip you can have lower back all that stuff but when you stop bending your knee you do become like super asymmetric because you only want to bend one knee you will not use like your whole foot anymore you'll definitely not get on your midfoot all of that stuff so restoring knee flexion knee flexion strength and um, tibial rotation is so important so those are like the alina video and then the two knee flexion videos those are absolutely key and then chris obviously did a, a class that gave some more practical strategies or like gave pretty much dedicated a full class to how you would load this knee now and get it moving really really well and strengthen all the tissues around it so uh that's all on dj interactive that's in the show notes as well jump on and i promise you even even if you just watched those three videos you've just got the value for a year or to be honest a lifetime because we all have knee clients that need to be better and if you can be the person that helps your knee clients then you are like you're on a, a road to pretty much wherever you want to be and making as much money as you need to make as a coach so so yeah that's dj interactive apart from that thanks for listening chat to you guys next week